Well, if you would stay focused, but be seated. And as you're seated and focused, would you turn to Colossians 4? I got an email this week from a woman. She said, Robert, you always tell us to turn to, but you don't give us time to turn to. All right. Okay. God bless you. Hey, you can't be a leader if you don't receive feedback. I just wish it was nicer at times. Uh, One lady, she's a dear friend. She texts me Sunday after church about three o'clock. She said, thank you for the sermon series. And I I was out of town, out of state in Houston, Texas, driving back. And I really enjoyed the conclusion of the Colossian series. And she had me questioning myself. But uh, today is the conclusion of the Colossian series. She doesn't tell me when it ends. So we'll, we'll wrap it up uh, today. Uh, a young man in my office this week uh, gets it, is really, I think, beginning to get it. He said to me, man, Robert, this is so rich, this letter, and there's just so much you're not even touching in this letter. And it's true. That, that's not an insult. That's a compliment. And it says nothing about uh, eloquence or intelligence on the preacher's part, mine or any other preacher's, but it just tells you about the Scripture and how deep it is. And, y'all, this could easily, do you understand this? This could easily be an 80-week series in Colossians alone. And we're making it eight weeks, and that means we're cutting a lot. But I've got, you know, last week we had 10 commandments of work. I've got a big sermon that I'm going to roll out to you today with a lot of points that uh, God also gave me. So we'll get to that in just a second. Y'all are kind of scared. Colossians 4, you there? Did I give you time? I just wasted time because that lady sent me that email. All right, Colossians 4 and verse 3, the conclusion of our series in Colossians, eight weeks. Colossians 4, 2, continue steadfastly in prayer being watchful in it with thanksgiving. If you would, upstairs, just leave that up for a moment. Colossians 4.2. If you want to humble people, if you want to humble church leaders, mature, older folks who've been around a while, ask them about their prayer life. And I've kind of concluded that there really aren't many experts, if any experts. I believe there are stumblers and travelers and sojourners, and triers, and trainers, um, practitioners, if you will, but no real experts. There are people who can give us insight to it. I hope today uh, I can be one of those to give you some insight to this, but it's just easy to fall away, isn't it? It's easy to not continue. Every time Scripture tells us, in fact, every time a wise person in your life tells you to continue something, the implication there is that you might quit that you won't continue. How many of you naturally, I'm going to raise my hand not to prompt you, but this is me. How many of you are like RG? You're, good, you're a good starter, but not necessarily a good finisher. Like you can have an idea. Okay, God bless you. You, you can have an idea, but it's a good idea, and you start with it, but you don't finish it. The Mississippi Blues was yesterday, and people ran around us. I got caught in traffic. I had an officer uh, point at me and wave at me very uh, violently because I was in the wrong lane. Yeah, I'm, I'm a runner. you think I would know better. I was just focused on serve day and stuff, and he, he waved me down. I didn't get a citation, nothing to publicly shame Fondren Church, but I, I was in the wrong, right? But the, the Blues Marathon, most people who ran finished, but the, there's still a lot. When you throw a thousand, thousands of runners out there, some didn't finish. I know the feeling. Lydia finished the half marathon yesterday. But continue. Finish this. This is, this is something that's so important. It's so vital to your existence and mine that we should continue in it. And notice the phrase being watchful. That's the key to prayer. How many of you uh, grew up in a church or you've heard me say it here 
bow your head and close your eyes. Like you've been taught that, uh, you've heard it from me, I think I've done it before. Listen, that was really, uh, I started as far as I understand it from like Victorian Sunday school teachers who wanted to focus antsy children in their classes or me at Fondren where I want to eliminate distractions around you so that you can focus on God. But there's really not a lot of bow your head and close your eyes in scripture. In fact, the opposite is true. This may get freaky and mystical to some of you, but most of the scripture about prayer is looking it's being watchful. It's some of you have an English translation of the Bible in front of you that says, uh, be alert. It, it's having an awareness. I've been talking a lot about that lately, but an awareness of what's going on around you. But think for a moment about Moses. Moses, it says this. Now, he saw, this is Exodus 2.12, if you're listening online, but he saw um, an Egyptian beating one of his own, beating somebody that ended in that person's death. And here's what it tells us. The text tells us in Exodus 2.12, the beginning of the Moses story. He did not know God yet. He did not know God yet. But it says this, looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. Which way did Moses look? He looked this way and he looked that way. Which way did he not look? He didn't look up. And life can be that way for, for all of us many of the time. Hey, I'm look, I look this way. I look that way. I don't see anyone. I was in Madison on Monday, and I pulled over to run into a store to get a few items. And as I was beginning to check out, I looked out and saw someone attempting to get in my truck. And I'm like, dude, what's up? Which, by the way, if you live in Madison, get to Jackson, okay? It's dangerous, very dangerous up there, all right? And I'm like, dude, you don't see me? That, that's that's my truck. We look this way, we look that way, and when we don't see anybody, we think it's okay to act on our own. And you see this alertness, this watchfulness, this awareness is not about looking this way or that way because everybody does that. And sometimes when we look this way or that way, and we think nobody sees us or nobody is watching us. And Paul is elevating it to these early followers of Jesus who need to learn to continue in the gospel, the grace of God that they have received in truth, Colossians 1, 7. They would continue in it, Colossians 2, 6, and 7. They would walk in it just as they received Christ. They would walk in him. They would, Colossians 3, set their affections on things above. Colossians 3, 16, let the word of Christ dwell on them richly. And here this morning, Colossians 4, that they would be watchful in prayer. So Moses, which way did he look? This way. He looked that way, but he didn't look up, and it could have changed everything. Here's what I want to say, stating the obvious, okay? But sometimes we need to be simple, don't we? If you would look up, if you would look to the heavens, it could change everything. Jesus, when he prayed, he showed up in John 11 to his friend Lazarus. He delayed showing up. God's timing is not your timing. Jesus purposely delayed. And it says this in John eleven forty one. So they took away the stone. This is Lazarus' stone. He's been dead for three days. The King James Version says, behold, he stinketh. So then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. Everyone else around him, because they're human like us, probably wasn't sure. But Jesus said, you got this, God. Uh, they're watching me, and I'm going to pray this prayer. Jesus looked where? He didn't look this way. He didn't look that way, but he looked up. It could change 
It could change everything. It's easy for us to think of prayer as a formula. But if you try to live that way for long, I would say weeks, maybe months, if you see prayer as a formula, then it's going to feel contrived. And you'll quit. Some of you are engineers, architects, you're scientists, maybe many of you in medicine, in some field of medicine, and formulas are good. Thank God for formulas. There's a system. You put in this and you get this. It can be weighed and measured and quantified. Praise God for formulas. Listen to me. Prayer is not a formula. Well, RG, what about the Matthew 6, the Lord's Prayer? It's not a formula. So if you see prayer as a formula, it will feel contrived. But if you see prayer as freestyle, it will get confusing. Any dancers like me in the room, anybody love to dance? Some of you are at a wedding uh, this weekend, like you love, like I'm a, I'm a fairly decent dancer if it's okay to brag, but I, I'm a freestyle dancer, okay? Susan usually leaves the banquet hall. Uh, I stay late, I dance long and hard, but my, my, my pleasure dancing in front of the people is freestyle dancing. And one time in 2012, I was... Um, nominated to, to be a dancing with the Mississippi stars. I'm not, you know, the only time that I've danced with choreography and it didn't go well for me. Ask my dancing partner. It didn't go well for me. Choreography, you know, ugh. but freestyling with dancing and a lot of things in life. If you're a seven like me, then you like to freestyle a lot of things. You don't come up with plans. Oftentimes you don't have a scroll with a bunch of lists and rules. You like to freestyle, but listen, if you just freestyle, if you live on feelings, if it goes on a whim, it'll become very confusing to you and you won't continue in it. Three words I want to give you. I don't think I have it on the screen. Three words that could help anchor your perspective for prayer. The three words are pause, praise, and surrender. A couple of images. Oh, yeah, I do have it. A couple of images. This is a speedboat going at a high rate of speed. Makes you not want to be at church right now, right? Makes you want to be out on the water, spring breaking already. A speedboat is, can be a lot of fun. A speedboat is going fast. It's being out in the wild and open. Faster is funner on a speedboat. But speed defeats depth. Look at this image. This is someone who's diving way below where the speedboat is skimming the surface. Which is wilder, which is free? We can debate that. I'm an expert on neither. But I just know that the guy skydiving, I'm sorry, scuba diving, is um, he's seeing things and observing and noticing things at a greater depth than the person that's skimming the surface. And so I'm wired this way, man, faster is funner. Take on life and do a lot. Do as much as you can. I feel sorry for my family when they go on vacation with me. I want to do as much as we can. And they're weary in the wake behind me. Faster is funner, but speed defeats depth. And so with God, just as if you are sitting next to someone, a spouse, friend, or loved one, friend, and you're sitting next to someone, speed will defeat the depth in that relationship if both of you are running fast. And by the way, slow down. Pause. And you'll see things and notice things, and you can be a person of depth. Praise. Prayer so often is my needs 
my wishes, my wants. And when Jesus taught us in Matthew 6, not a formula, by the way, it's so interesting. Jesus taught in Matthew 6 that prayer is intensely private. Do you have a private place where you pray? Hey, parents with little children, do your children ever see you pray? Do they see you pull away? Do they see that you have a place? It's intensely private. You don't pray. It's not about the number of words you use or the type of words that you use, Jesus taught. But while he taught that it's private, he also taught in the same chapter of the Bible, Matthew 6, that prayer is also corporate. We pray public prayers with brothers and sisters in Christ. But we start with prayer, our Father who is in heaven. There is a Father in heaven. His name is Hallowed. We don't talk that way today. It just means God is great. And Jesus is saying, start your prayers with God's greatness. Not your needs, not your wishes, not your wants. Now, nobody's looking at me going, whoa, this preacher is profound today. I have never heard that. But I want to ask you, I want to shift it to you and say, how many times do you pray with your needs, your wishes, and your wants? And you don't start with the elevated greatness of God. Praise, pause, surrender. God can. God will. And we're going to see in a minute, deeper into Colossians 4, that God may. That's hard to live with, isn't it? Because if we could just stand up here and say, God can and God will, mm, that'd be easy. In fact, you could attach a formula to that. Nobody would have to freestyle. Nobody would have to get confused. Nobody would fall away. Everybody would be believers then. God can. I would want everybody to know that. God can. God can. God can do it all. God will do everything he's promised to you and me. He will. But in a moment, you're going to see Paul uses the language, God may. And sometimes we don't know. And the befuddling mystery of prayer could either be a source of ongoing frustration for you and I or beautiful fascination. Here's what prayer is not. Prayer is not this, back up a little bit if I'm out of order. No, but go back to this. Yeah, prayer is not a force to get what I want, but a conversation with a person. If I turn on a light switch and the lights don't come up, come on, you could say the light doesn't work, fair? If I get in your car and you turn the ignition key and the car doesn't start, we could say the car doesn't work. Is that fair? Say, though, that I talk to Susan, my wife of 20, almost 24 years, and I say to her, babe, in the morning, I want you to bring me coffee, bacon and eggs, crispy on the bacon. At night, I want you to massage me, my feet, and during the day, I want you to polish my shoes and wash my truck and draw my bath and do these things for me. And then I tell you, you know, Susan, talking to Susan is not working. What would you say to me? I'm open for response here. What would you say to me? Duh. You would say, Robert, your, your brain isn't working. But you wouldn't conclude like the light switch or the ignition to the car, right, that talking to Susan is not working. You would talk to me about how I am talking to Susan. In fact, you would want to alter my whole perspective. You would probably say to me, even though you didn't have time to write a sermon about it, you would say that talking to Susan is not a force to get what you want, but it's conversation with a person. And so it is with prayer. 
And so let's be careful when we say prayer doesn't work. Let's change the whole perspective that it's conversation with a purpose. And so pause, praise, and surrender. Look, I have prayed prayers and gotten what I've wanted. I have prayed prayers and not gotten what I've wanted. I have prayed at the bedside of people where other people have been praying feverishly and fervently for the same prayer request, and it has not happened. I have seen prayers where we have laid hands and we have seen a miracle because our God is able to heal and deliver. I can't explain it all. So I anchor myself and my life and my teaching. And I want you to anchor yourself in this idea that prayer is not a force to get what you want. It's a conversation with a person. And let me tell you quickly about this conversation, Hebrews 4, 16 tells us, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Just leave that up, uh, if you will, for a moment. Let's anchor our thoughts in this. So let's start with this word, throne. Question for you this morning to see if you're awake still. Who's on the throne? It's not a trick question, people. Who's in Grant's tomb? Who's on God's throne? Listen, Prayer is not positive thinking. Prayer is not whispering a wish into the universe. There is a throne and someone's on the throne and that somebody is God and he is able. I want to say to you this morning, beyond all the books that I've read, beyond all the conceptions and theories and dialogues and debates and discussions, I stand here today telling you, I believe in prayer and I believe that we should be prayerful and that we should continue in prayer because it is worship and it is conversation and there is a throne and that God is able. He's able to rescue. He's able to redeem. He's able to heal even the deepest, darkest pain and hurt that you are going through. I have seen it time and time again. There is a throne. And I'm going to ask it again. Who's on that throne? God is on the throne. It's God's throne. So do not, do not think that you're whispering a wish into the universe or it's some venue for positive thinking. There's a God who made that universe. That's who's on the throne. That's the God who is able. And the throne is an image. Everyone gets this. It's an image of power and sovereignty. And that is our God. Now, this throne has a name. What's the name of the throne? It's not the throne of performance. It's not the throne of brains and personality and beautiful people networking at a social event. It is not, let me draw the contrast sharply, it is not the throne of performance. It's the throne of grace. It's the throne for misfits. It's the throne for losers and those who have been left out. It's the throne for people who are needy and desperate. It's the throne of grace. And we come to that throne of grace. And by the way, aren't you grateful that it's a throne of grace? Because I come in my sin and this sin-stained world that we live in, it separates us from God, a holy God. I don't know if you think about this much, but God has a standard of justice and righteousness and none of us meet it. Like, I love you enough to tell you about that. If something rises up in you about the dignity of humanity and you're open to talking, I would love to talk to you one-on-one. I have wrestled with doubt and stuff myself because I live in the same suffering universe that you live in. 
But there is a throne, and it's a throne of greatness. And our God is on that God, and no amount of performance. You're going to wake up in the morning, many of you, and you'll need to perform. You'll need to perform because in a, the, the end of the first quarter is coming up at the end of March, at the end of this month. And there'll be a mid-year review maybe for some of you and an end-of-the-year review. And feeding your family could be on the line for some of us. You need to perform. I just messed some of you up in church today, right? You can't worship anymore. But there's performance out there. I'm not standing here denying that. But the throne that God talks about is a throne of grace. And the church and religion has done a terrible job at times in communicating this. And so this is a place for misfits. There's a throne and God is on the throne. And there is this throne. It has a name and it is the throne of grace. And we come to it. How do we come to it? With fear and trembling and anxiety. We come to it with uncertainty, with duty or obligation. Is that what it says? Help me here because y'all know I'm, I'm preaching heresy. Stop me. We come to this throne with, with confidence. Listen, they're not here today and not likely to listen online. So I'll tell you about my kids real quick. There have been some times, that, now they're not cute little sermon illustrations anymore. They're like adults, or adults in the making. But there have been times when they have, a few times, where they have reached out to me and said, Dad, can we talk? Let me ask you if anybody knows about a father's heart. What, do you think I stiff arm them? Do you think I tell them that I'm busy or do you think I run to be at their side? Let me give you a hint. I run to be at their side. My oldest texted me one time and said, Dad, I need to talk to you about something. I can't talk to mom. I want to talk to you. I was up there in my office. I ran home. I actually drove around the block a few times. I didn't want to look too anxious to get there and talk to him. But look, he can come to me. He's my child. And I'll run to him. He's my child. And I want my kids to come to me with confidence. Even what, what if they've messed up? What if it's a B, not an A, or a C, not a B? What if it's a mistake they've made or a sin? Or what if they made their dad not look good? I want them to come to me with confidence. And that's our father. And we can do that not because of anything you've done, not all the books you've read, not how long you've been a Christian, not what you know, not how your life is morally compared to other people. But you're able to do that. You're able to go to this throne with confidence because you, you, we, we have a high priest who's bridged that gap of separation for our sin. So there's a throne and God is on that throne and our God on that throne is able and that throne has a name and that name of that throne is grace and because of that we can come how? With confidence and we come to it in our time of need. As gym renovations continue, I continue with the team cleaning things out. And this week, there was a closet that's gonna be upstairs in our student room. So if you notice, we're cutting some windows that are gonna bring sunlight in. It's gonna be fun. And I went into a closet with just a few items and likely those items were going in the dumpster. And then I ran into this, the 12 steps. It's probably a two-person job, not the preacher. But you see these 12 steps, I'm trying to roll all 12 of them out but I stood right outside of this closet and I couldn't throw this away and I stopped and I was in the moment watchful in prayer. And I see this. We admitted we were powerless over alcohols. Put, put in the blank whatever it is in your blank because you got something in your blank. 
I got something in my body. Listen, y'all, I got some sins. I got some weaknesses and struggles that are besetting that if I'm not careful, that will get power over me. And same with you. And here I saw, I mean, you can smell the 1970s on this thing. (laughs) But I stood there and I thought, there was a group of people in the 70s I don't know if they were stealth and clandestine-like or if they had the blessing of Woodland Hills Baptist Church, the people who built this glorious structure. But they met, and they met often, because if you know about AA, they meet often. Because there's a desperation, and they say, we are coming to God in our time of need. Because we want to be so honest. If we're not honest about this, it will destroy us. And I want to say to you and me, like nobody is beyond that. Let me just roll this up because y'all are going to be terribly distracted. Nobody is beyond that. And Paul is saying, nah, we don't know if it's Paul. Probably not Paul. But Hebrews 4 is saying to us, come to the throne of grace in your time of need and you'll find mercy and you'll find help. I believe it. It's true. I believe it. Now, look at Colossians. Pray for Colossians 4.3. At the same time, so as you continue to be watchful in prayer, at the same time, pray also for us, that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Thursday in the office, some of the staff were hanging around impromptu, and nobody had visited this week about this. I'm like, did you guys see the dude on The Voice that sang that song, the pastor from Meridian, the guy named Todd. And he just, Sue's not on the couch together, blew us away. I was like, oh my goodness, this guy's from Meridian. Oh my goodness, that's Mississippi. He's got eight kids. And I said to Susan out loud, I go, I bet he's a pastor. And he goes, I'm a pastor. And I'm like, oh my goodness. And so I was talking to the staff about it and Lauren put it on YouTube and we gathered around and we were watching this guy blow us away. It was a four chair turn on the voice. Anybody see this guy? And Emily Harden, Van's wife, had not heard about Todd. She's like, she thought, and she looked at me like I was weird for talking about Todd. Like, this is weird. Like, who's this guy? And why are you so excited about this dude singing on The Voice? I thought you were better than that. And then she watched it with us. And then I noticed that Emily Harden on Facebook is inviting people to like Todd and to follow him. <laughs> now, here's my point. My point is when you experience something, when you see something and know something and feel something, isn't that the beauty of music? Come on, I tell you, you can keep singing this morning if you want. But when you feel something, right, you're going to tell other people about it. And that is the gospel. Remember, this is good news proclaimed, and you want to tell other people about it. And here's the dude. I don't know what you're going through. Preachers have a saying. It's why we pray before we come out. There's a pain in every pew. I don't know what you're going through, but Paul was in chains, and he's praying for open doors of opportunity because he wants other people to know not about a dude that's singing good on the voice that may or may not win. He wants people to know about a Savior who came into the world not to condemn anyone, but to save the world. And that's good news. And Paul's saying, I want doors to be open. Now, door is a cool word. Emily and Van lead, help us lead a ministry called Red Door. I look out and see some of you are servants in that ministry. A door can have symbolism for many things. A door could represent safety. How many of you said, hey, lock the door? Hey, I'm not home. Lock the door. Hey, we're about to leave. Make sure you lock the door. A door can mean safety. A door can mean secrecy. No one knows what goes on behind closed doors. A door can mean rejection. She shut the door in my face. Notice it's always face. 
Never elbow or shoulder or knee. They shut the door in my face. A door can mean rejection. A door can mean rest. There's a whole tribe of people among us that shut a door to get rest. They're called mothers, and they want to be away from their children. Calgon, take me away. Anybody old enough to remember that commercial? It can mean rest, but that means none of those things here. This is a door of grand openings. This is a door of brand new beginnings. This is a door where God is saying you can walk through it. And notice what Paul said. I promised you we were getting here. Paul said a door, any door that God may open. You see, with doors, there's uncertainty. But the door that God wants to open for every follower of Jesus is a new beginning. It's a door where Jesus can be made known in your life and through you can make him known to other people. You can be on Team Jesus. And that's the door of opportunity that he is praying. I may get out of these chains, but I pray that these doors would be open. Months ago, I attended, I got to be careful because I'm speaking a few hours from where I grew up, but I attended a reunion of sorts. And in this room of people, everybody was in their 50s, and everybody was telling everybody that they look good. Oh, you look good. You look good, I swear. I'm not just saying this. I heard, overheard someone say, you look good. Have you had some work done? And a few, uh, in, within a few um, minutes, they asked me to get up and share a few words in front of the group. And I, I got up there on a small podium. I looked out at the crowd, and I thought, you know, nobody looks good. When you're in a room and everybody's telling everybody that they look good, you're at a point where nobody looks good anymore. And here's what I want to say to you this morning, talking about open doors of opportunity, open doors of eternal impact. Historians tell us that an estimated, that's all they can do is estimate, 98 billion people have lived on planet Earth. And 7.7 billion of those people like us are alive right now. That means that 93% 93 of all people who have ever lived have already died. And everybody at one point was young and beautiful. And everybody when they're young and beautiful doesn't think they're going to get old. And look, look at this idea of Colossians 4, 5, very quickly. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Why? Because we don't have long. See if you see a theme. Next passage, Psalm 90. This is Moses, the guy who killed somebody and buried him in the sand. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Acts 13, David. Now when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, isn't that all you can ask for? He fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. I want that. Like I want to serve the purposes of God in my generation and then go be with Jesus. Do you see that wisdom theme? Do you see that? Winston Churchill reportedly sent a dessert pudding back to the kitchen because of this reason, quote, Well, I don't know if we have it. He said, because it lacks a theme. Do we have that? Because there we go. It lacked a theme. A dessert lacked a theme. I don't want my life to be like that pudding. I want there to be a theme. I want to walk in wisdom. 
I want to make my time count. I want to serve God's purposes in this generation. I want every door that God may open to be opened. Now, here's the thing quickly about open doors. We're, we're off, but let's see if we can get, get uh, in sync here with that quote. I think you threw it up a little bit ago. The same person who says, I place before you an open door. This is Revelation 3. I have placed before you an open door. That's to the church at Philadelphia. The same God who says this to that church and to us says this, I know that your strength is small. Again, this is not about being beautiful or talented or networked. This is not about you performing well. Isn't it a gift to know that God opens doors for people whose strength is small? And when the doors open, we think that the doors will bless us and be thrilling to us. Listen, open doors, I can attest, they do bless you. They do thrill you, but it's not about you. Y'all know the story of Israel? The story of Israel is they thought the open door was going to be economic prosperity. They were going to be a war machine. They were going to have abundant wealth. And you know what God gave them? Y'all know this. He gave them exile and oppression. So the open door, was it thrilling? It was an adventure but it included hard things. So listen to me this morning. Sometimes an open door for you can be a new place. And with that new place, there could be tons of thrill and adventure in that. But sometimes the open door means a new and previously unrecognized opportunity in the same old place. I was with a young medical student. He's got a vision of the medical field in third world countries. Man, I guarantee you that guy's gonna go. I envision a day where we pray for him and Fondren Church sends him and financially supports him and he will go. But for many of us and likely for many of you, that new door that God wants to open is right here. And it's you recognizing something that God wants to do in you. Would you pray with me? I'm not going to tell you to bow your head and close your eyes because I just sort of preached against it. But if you would, focus. And what would God have for you today? Does your life lack a theme? Is your devotion to Jesus non-existent? Are you freestyling your prayer life? Have you got sidelined because you saw your prayer as a formula or a way to force what you want. God, I pray, looking to you, that you would help us not see prayer as a force to get what we want, but as a conversation with a person, in fact, someone who is God, who is you on a throne. And thank you that it is a throne of grace. God, break our hearts for what breaks yours. Help us be a people who will bow before you, who with bended knee will say, we need you. And God, I pray right now for a handful of folks who can see a preacher unfurl something today on a scroll and a poster from the 70s and think maybe it's not alcohol, but it could be or it could be something else. And that thing is going to destroy me. It's going to destroy me if I don't come confidently to the throne of grace because there's a high priest named Jesus who has forgiven me. Do your work in us, God. Do your work in us. In Jesus, we pray. Would you stand, our ushers? We're going to do two things now in this moment as we 
wrap up over the next five to seven minutes. We're going to honor God through tithes and offerings. The door that God opens many times is a door for us to learn generosity, to learn to become a systematic giver, to be a part of a community of saints who give of resources. Bless these tithes and offerings, and let's do business with God. For many of you, it's right there where you're standing. But for some of you, maybe today, especially a day of prayer, you would come and want to kneel today. You'd want to come and take one of us and be prayed for. Whether you're rejoicing in something, there's angst or indecision, would you come today? Let's give these few moments to him.